This is the PR Pod, the podcast that brings you expert tips for working in PR and finding your niche. With your host, Brooke Burns. Welcome to the PR Pod, the essential podcast for emerging public relations professionals. Pitching to media and securing coverage is one of the most common things we do in PR, but it can take some time to start doing this effectively. If you're someone who hasn't had much success in converting your pitches to coverage, you're definitely not alone. The purpose of the chat with today's guest is to arm you with insight to ensure you have the best chance possible of getting your pitch read by a journalist with a particular focus on newspapers and magazines. And the person joining me today is someone who has a ton of experience writing, editing and even publishing some of Australia's most respected newspaper supplements and magazines. Katerina Krosakova has been the editor of the Australian Financial Review's Life and Leisure and Luxury Magazines, a columnist for Harper's Bazaar, and is now the editor and publisher of Tea Australia, the New York Times style magazine in Australia, among others. I'm thrilled she agreed to come on the podcast. KK, welcome to the PR Pod. Thank you for having me, Brooke. I've been busting to get on this podcast for ages. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. You are way too kind. (laughs) Look, I'll jump straight into it. You know, pitching to media can be super intimidating for a lot of PRs, especially when you're starting off in the industry. And a lot of clients and companies still value print coverage over online and with the media landscape evolving as it is and there's fewer and fewer print opportunities it becomes even more challenging to secure newspaper and magazine coverage so I'd love to get your thoughts on what an editor or a journalist expects a PR to have done prior to pitching to them when it comes to understanding their publication. Um, First of all I just want to say that I am not one of those people who sees PR as the enemy I adore the PR world and I feel for people working in that field because I think it's really tricky and I think there tends to be a bit of an imbalance where journos and editors and reporters feel like they're in this ivory tower of zero mistakes and PRs tend to be the fluffy, silly, which is, it really upsets me that people still feel like that today. And it can be such a beautiful, productive, collaborative process where actually you become friends and you work together really, really well. So at the outset, I want to say that I'm like really wanted to express my appreciation for the PR industry. And I hope that the way we um, work with PRs um, is productive and helpful. So in terms of some of the issues that I'm encountering at the moment in my current print um, capacity is PRs get the frequency wrong most often. So obviously with a daily newspaper, it's fine, it's daily, but there are also regular columns which only appear every week or there might be a magazine insert which appears every quarter, not every month. And I know it's confusing, but you know what? Stuff doesn't change that much. So for me, the challenge is getting lots of pictures that are not appropriate to my frequency. At the moment, the magazine I'm working on most is New York Times T Australia, which is a star magazine, which has gone, which has actually started off as a quarterly this year, and we're going to go up to bi-monthly next year. But this year, being quarterly, um, those and that was quite publicly known that it was quarterly. Um, it, yeah, that was I think the thing that I found most challenging is to try and explain to people that we're quarterly and we're not a monthly and we can't really do it in this time frame and we're going to miss out on this launch. So that for me is it just shows that extra little bit of research and extra little bit of care that the PR has taken by doing that little bit of research. Readership clearly is something that is key. 
Um, so again, just using my example, I have always been in the area of luxury or premium lifestyle publications. So mainstream or cheap or children's or those kind of things are just not appropriate. And I also understand that there are reports and you have to send your PR, your releases out and you have to tick, 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 tick lots of boxes to please your client. I understand the other side of the equation, but sometimes um, the lack of understanding of the readership and their interests, um, that can be a really bad way to start a pitching email and a relationship with an editor. Um, and I guess the last tip I would probably say is just grab the last couple of issues um, so you don't pitch the same thing that we've already run. I found that very um, common when I was at my previous job at the Financial Review. I did a magazine called Life and Leisure, which is a weekly. And again, I totally respect the fact that not everyone reads it every week. Even my mum didn't read it every week. Um, so I t completely respect the fact that you can't keep a track of everything that we used to cover. But if there was like a cover story on something and then someone pitched me something really similar two, three weeks later, um, yeah, that's not good. So my, my three things that I would recommend as basic starting points would be get the frequency of publication correct, get the readership's demographic and interests correct, and try and familiarize yourself with maybe the last few issues um, just so you make sure you don't pitching um, the same thing. I think that's a really perfect start to this conversation. I'd like to deep dive back through those three just to give a little bit more context on them. So in terms of frequency, um, so let's say we've got a daily newspaper and you are a, um, an upfront news writer. So you're writing stories that appear every day in that, let's say, Monday to Friday newspaper. Um, I guess just to provide some context for those who are pitching, that newspaper uh, kind of goes to bed or gets finalised by about five o'clock the day prior. Is that right? It will, however, the stories that are going to be pitched um, to the news editor at conference, I mean, I, I do realise that your podcast goes around the world and I can only really speak with any authority on the Australian media landscape, but for example, a newspaper such as the Financial Review, there were three news conferences through the day and it depends on how you were shifted, how you were scheduled, how you were rostered. Um, you would either be pitching your story to the editor for that day at seven o'clock in the morning or at 11.30 or at 2.30. So that's something that you guys need to keep in mind as well is the fact that there are those news conferences where you do sit around the big tables or on group Zooms at the moment. Um, and that does happen through the day and you can pitch something, um, like I said, from 7.30 in the morning or even the night before. Um, so yeah, there is that 24 hour window beforehand, yeah. Yeah, and I also, um, I mean, if I've got something coming up that I know is very date-specific, then I will often pitch it to that journalist a week or two weeks in advance. And they may not be able to guarantee that they'll get it in, and that's the thing with daily newspapers is that they, uh, unless it really is totally groundbreaking news that you know, their whole demographic would be really interested in, it's very unlikely you can get any promises that you're going to get coverage, especially that far out. But um, I think it's important to at least put it top of mind. So when they are planning um, or there's other stories coming in, they might say, right, you know, I know you wanted something to run on the Monday, but actually ties in really well with the story we're going to run the couple of days prior. Perhaps we can do that. So if you haven't spoken to people in advance, you might miss out on those opportunities because you're pitching at 7.30 on the morning, you know, prior to you wanting to run. So I think certainly touching base in advance is important. When it comes to supplements, so let's let's assume it's a weekly supplement. How far in advance um, are you, A, putting that to bed, and then would you want to be pitched something? We would normally be putting a Friday supplement to the printers on the Tuesday afternoon that same week. So 
Um, that was probably a little bit more time than a normal supplement because we used to use better quality paper so we were done at a different printing plant but that was our um, Tuesday afternoon deadline for Friday morning delivery. Um, I would probably accept pictures oh, easily six, four to six weeks in advance. Um, at the moment with Tea Australia I'm accepting pictures already. I'm already locking stuff away for December 2022. So I think it's funny, isn't it? It's such an extreme. As a journo on a daily, you, I would always file away pictures. Sometimes I wouldn't answer them, but I would always file them away. And then you would get to conference and you'd go, oh my God, I've got no story. Shit. And then you'd go into your inbox and then you would find something and it would just like land in your lap because it was something that you'd saved and you might not necessarily answer it, but I always used to file it. And there were weeks that were super quiet and nothing was happening in my round and you'd be like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then if you did have a PR who sent you something early enough and you did file it and you found it again and you then pitched it that day and it got on, you're like, oh, this is a good day. Like this is all the world, all the world's <laughs> colliding really, really well. So um, yeah, I mean, just think quarterly magazines, obviously longest lead daily, daily, but also the, the two more things that I want to kind of emphasize with dailies and newspapers is two things. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but in Australia, there is no such thing as just having one job. So the magazine world and publishing world and newspaper world, everyone is stretched and everyone is doing probably three roles. So they're doing, you know, the lifestyle, then they're doing business, then they're doing education, then they're doing news editing, then they're doing sub-editing, then they're doing headlines, and they're doing all sorts of stuff. So I guess it's a good thing because if you do have a particular pitch for them, it might result in them being able to actually use it in different ways. But it's also a bad thing because then you might fall through the cracks if they're busy or they might not get back to you or they don't have any space or they're not on that particular section at the, you know, at that moment in time. So I think that's really important. And then the other thing that um, I know that print is still seen and I love print. I, if you, if you saw my desk right now, like <laughs> <laughs> there is a mountain of paper. I love print. adore it. Um, but there is obviously a huge focus on digital first. So when PRs pitch a story saying, I would love to get this in print, I totally respect that. And I am with you, but the editor of the Finn review is not on that wavelength. Do you know what I mean? It is just one of those things where you have to respect the fact that news websites really have to keep pumping through those stories and really have to keep updating them very frequently to keep drawing readers in constantly through the day or at peak times. So when someone says, I just want this in print, it's not, you know, online's not good enough or online's not whatever, just, yeah, there is obviously a massive drive to go digital first across most of the larger media organizations around the world, you know, even New York Times, digital first. Um, so that just needs to be something that's put in context. And I think in your pitching process, it will be great to um, understand that you may actually get online first and print the next day. If it is an online and print um, media organization, often at the Fin Review, I would quickly write a story. It would make the three o'clock update and then it would still be in the paper the next day. So it, um, those two worlds can work really well together as long as you're understanding of the fact that that's, um, that there is a priority placed upon digital first at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, the second thing you touched uh, touched on was the uh, the readership and so the demographic of, of who reads that newspaper or magazine or whatever outlet it happens to be. And, you know, there's that may be a little bit overwhelming if you're very new to PR and you're very new to publications. You've never flicked through any of these publications before. So you can kind of get your head around the, the reader demo a couple of ways. One, often you'll find online the, um, the digital media kit for that publication. So you might go to something like, you know, you might Google the name of the publication and advertising or name of the publication a media kit. And there will be a summary there of information potentially that says, you know, we're targeting this demographic or our readers are here, here, here. So that could be a really easy way to find it. What are some of the other ways of trying to identify a demographic when you are brand new to a publication? If you haven't seen it before. Yeah. Mm, Okay. So uh, a very basic way is looking at the Instagram. So the Instagram feeds are very clearly, if they're done well, very clearly identifiable. You know, it's a business audience or it's a corporate audience or it's a high fashion audience or it's an architecture audience. I think an Instagram feed um, and stories, because obviously half the time Instagram feeds are um, advertiser bound, but um, stories tend to give you a much more genuine look at who it actually is and it gives you the tone of voice. Um, gives you the hashtags, gives you a lot of information. I find social media really good. Um, I love LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is fabulous. Um, you can, you know, search what other people have said or what they've run or if they've had any other coverage in the industry magazines, for example, if they've had any launches, stuff like that. I find LinkedIn an incredibly useful um, source of information as well. Um, and I, 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 there is, there, you can't beat just seeing the actual publication like this yeah. is, but I understand if it's in between print runs or if it's in between issues like I understand it's a, it's a bit of a challenge but as a starting point I would just you know do a little bit of research on industry magazines or industry websites LinkedIn um, social media is a really good um, and obviously just talk to your friends talk to your colleagues I think that's yeah. something that also you can't you can't beat do you think it's appropriate if a person wants to email the journalist and say, look, I've had a look on Instagram, I've done this, you know, I can clearly see that you're targeting a luxury market. Um, are there any kind of refinements on that demographic that you think would be important for me to know? Like, are you more female skilled or male skilled? Do you think journalists, obviously everyone is very different. Do you think journalists in general are open to that if you can show that you have put some research into trying to understand that demographic? I would I would love someone to do that to me. I would love that, honestly. I would much rather spend that five-minute email continuing a conversation that's already started with some previous research than having to start from scratch and say, actually, you've got this a little bit wrong. Let's start. You know what I mean? I would love that. And you're right. Maybe not everybody would. And also, it really does depend on the journal and almost not not their pecking order, but it does depend on what part of the career they're in. It depends whether they're a trainee. It depends whether they're senior. It really depends. I mean, there's such a God, it's a political minefield. I don't envy um, the PR world at all. Um, it's just shocking, honestly. And some of the rudeness and the bad behavior by journos and editors, I just think is completely inexcusable, but that's another story for another day. So um, I would love people to ask questions that are constructive and curious and intelligent and show a little bit of prior research. Not everyone's the same, but I am so open to it. 
Mm. And I think that ties into your third point, which is, you know, reading and understanding the publications. I don't have print subscriptions to any newspapers anymore. I used to up until about two years ago. Now I don't because now I need to be able to, you know, access stuff. And for example, if I am pitching to a supplement and, you know, some of my clients are higher end restaurants and bars and some of them are way more casual. So if I haven't had a higher end bar for a couple of months for whatever reason, um, I wouldn't just assume that a column or a section of a supplement that I was pitching for six months ago is A, still written by the same person, B, still exists, or or they're still interested in the content. So if it's newspapers, I would highly recommend you get digital subscriptions so you can access the archives there and you look back and see, get a sense of the tone of the publication and um, or how often you might see that they only run um, you know, a, a travel column once every three weeks or once every two months or something like that. So certainly those digital subscriptions help for newspapers. Monthly magazines are more difficult. If, if you've just started working somewhere at an agency, um, you would hope that they may have an archive of magazines that they are also getting subscriptions. But back to the previous point in terms of reading and understanding the demographic and addressing it with a journalist, that's something that I have done before is I've, you know, especially if I'm pitching to an international magazine, say I don't have access, unfortunately, to the last 12 months of this magazine. I have seen the most recent issue. I can see there might be a space for this here. I wasn't sure if there was any other kind of quarterly columns that would be relevant for. Um, again, I think that shows that you have put the time and energy into trying to understand a publication before you pitch to it. Um, I mean, libraries would have, I mean, I haven't looked in a library for a magazine, but do libraries keep copies of magazines? Do you know? They do. They, in fact, do. But my favourite place, as I'm sure is one of your favourite places, when travel becomes available again for us as, a, as an avenue, um, my favourite place is the lounge. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I may or may not be a frequent visitor to business lounges and airport lounges. And look, if a copy of a magazine or seven ends yep. up accidentally in my bag, well, so be it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it is yep. what it is. So I've no, done I that do. Too. I actually I'm actually one of those losers who does go into um news agents at airports, like actual news agents. I will buy stuff. Um I'll research, I'll flick even I love it because I love looking at design. I love looking at who's there, who's moved, whatever. Even as a media professional, I love doing that. Um and I'm not recommending it because probably like news agents will like hate me because that's a bit creepy. <laughs> but I do go in there. I look at the cover I look yeah. at what's trendy, what's how they redesigned it, and then send them a message to say, hey, congrats, I saw your mag, you've redesigned this or whatever. Like, it's yeah. not that hard. I have also, because I'm a new brand in Australia with tea, tea Australia, I have also very gladly shared the whole PDF of the magazine to whoever has asked, because I think it's in my interest to have that available as a resource. What is the point in saying to people, go to a news agent when we're in lockdown? Like yeah. that is just such an arrogant thing to say. So if you say to me, KK, really want to see your latest issue. Can I get a copy? I'll be like, this is your giant PDF. Go forth, have a look at it, get familiar with it and come yeah. back to me. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And I appreciate that because I'm the publisher of the magazine. I have the luxury of being able to do that. I know that you can't really do that with many other magazines, but there are people who will be happy to do that. There's a lot of small publishing houses these days who will absolutely be able to do that for you. Um, even when I worked at Bazaar, 
um, before you know it was with the new publishing house um, we were very generous with um, sending PDFs to people not the whole magazine but like you know quite chunks um, mm. just to let people do it because it's in our interest as well as your interest there's no point being precious about it a copy of tea is like 14 bucks I'm not going to make I'm not going to retire on that I'd rather send you a PDF so you can see the ads the layout the flow the columns you know I'd rather do that and inform journos and PRs and the industry as a whole by giving you whatever you need so that we can work better together but like I said I know that that's not always possible for everybody but yeah you know it in a courteous way it doesn't hurt to have that as an option in a conversation when you're well into a relationship with an editor yeah and I think that's um and that's one of the I think the um components of when it comes to pitching that I wanted to go into so maybe we'll kind of start with the more generic sense now. So when you when a pitch hits your desk, and we can talk newspaper magazines, I don't think it really makes any difference because as long as you are pitching to a publication, you should be following the same kind of um, rules or templates. But what are you looking for when a pitch lands in your inbox from a PR? What does it need to touch on, address, and spark your interest? Um, it... It almost goes back to the thing that we were talking about at the very start. Um, I get maybe five, six hundred emails a day. Um, and out of those would be probably 200 generics. So the mass mail outs. People which, still do that? Oh, God. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah, they do. And I actually don't mind that. Oh, really? Oh, God, I know I hate it. Why don't you mind that? I don't mind it because as long as there is a mutual respect and understanding that I will not answer that email probably just due mm. to sheer volume, yep. I don't mind getting it. You never know. What, what have I got to lose? It'll take me five seconds to delete it if it's inappropriate. Or you'll be like, oh, is that what's happening? Okay, cool. Like it might actually spark something. Or just, I might be so working lazy, on It's so lazy though, KK. It's totally 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 but I've changed in my old age my god Brooke I've changed so I remember when I first started at the Fin. god you and I met what 15 years ago mm-hmm. when I first started working there I was so precious if someone spelt my name wrong oh my god that email was deleted well how stupid is that how yeah. many times have I probably spelt your name without an e on the end like do, do you know totally. what I mean just yeah I get it all the time grow up mm. <laughs> So I've changed. I've become a hell of a lot more tolerant and a lot more accepting of people. So mm. I, you know, I if I know that that thing has been spammed, then I take it as spam. But occasionally it might spark something. You just never know. As long as, like I said, there's a mutual understanding that that's probably not going to be answered and taken action on. So mm. the top third is obviously the very, 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 very tailored pitch to us specifically trying to work for an exclusive or whatever. And then the middle third is the kind of in between so what gets my attention is both the Finn review and the abc magazine that i worked for before that and now the new york times it is it is a premium more corporate audience where success and entrepreneurship and financial journeys and all that sort of stuff is actually a key editorial consideration so in terms of catching my eye if there is something about the subject matter or the subject theme or about the person that you're pitching that understands that context then we're off to a very good start if it's something that's very general 
or if it's something that relates to something that's mm. being launched that day or the next day and already the influencers have got that stuff happening we can't be the first or the best to run it mm. that's not going to get a look in um and again it's the frequency of stuff and the demographic like they're my two things they're my two things like it's really not that difficult to kind of get it right to be honest with you um so in terms of pitching that will be the thing and also just be honest i guess i mean we'll get to this later because we talk about stuff that kind of annoy us but yeah i think honesty um is a big part a kind yeah. of major rule of thumb no hyperbole you know <laughs> yeah. please just don't please don't say this is the best mm-hmm. car makeup restaurant bar handbag it is for the journalist to make the decision about whether they think it is the best it's your job to say these are the characteristics that i think make it a you know a stunning example of whatever it may be but please don't say this is the best or this is you know you're never going to have tried um you know a suitcase like this one before it's just it's just a really easy way to to kind of go you're not being honest i mean how yes Yes, and 100%. And also, this has changed, thank goodness, but probably about eight to ten years ago, you would get a lot of people, well, it's changed in my pitching, I don't know, but I would get a lot of emails saying, hey, this is my new client and this is the story that I think you should do on them. And in a way, I kind of dig that. Like, I respect the fact that they've taken the time to do it, but sometimes the stories that they were suggesting that I do were so inappropriate. Um, yeah, so that's stopped now. They just give you the facts most of the time at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point. I think there has to be mm. a nice balance between providing some background as to why this may this subject matter or person or brand may be relevant to that publication or that column or that section um, and giving some hints at what some ideas could be for that publication, but giving that journalist scope to go, oh, okay, I'm working on something. That's why I kind of, you know, one of the most common phrases I put into pictures is you know I'll put in a couple of specifics I'd love you to keep them in mind for this chef Q&A that you do or or blah 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 if there's anything else relevant that you're working on that you feel this would be a good fit for please let me know because I can't possibly know what you're writing at any one time so I think putting that in there just shows that you're not telling people what you want them to do you're giving them options and hopefully it'll be top of mind when they do have something relevant. What I do find at the moment is lacking with a few of the younger kids that I've um, had contact from is um, just a, a lack of a 360 look at your client. It either is, actually no, it's mostly too newsy. So I understand you've got to do the dailies and you've got to do the online and you've got to do the websites and you've got to do the newspapers. I understand that. But I often, too often find that the same pitch and the same timeliness that is being sent to the Herald or to the Telegraph, the same pitch is being sent to a long lead magazine. And we know that because we can understand, like we can see, you know, if something's opening, well, I'm not out for another two months. But like it's got to be a better look at, um, it's got to have layers, you know what I mean? It's, it's something that the professionals do so, so well. They take a restaurant or they take a fashion brand or they take a collection or they take a launch or a new whatever. And I find at the moment what I'm finding a little bit frustrating is that you will get the newspaper-style pitch to a glossy mag, which cannot meet those timelines. And so what I would recommend is spend more time 
digging a little bit deeper into the other tangents and the other links and the other avenues and the other angles and the other um, ways of presenting your client that's a more classic, evergreen, interesting, deeper way that the long lead mags will be able to tap into either in their next issue or the issue after or even a year after that if it's a theme or if it's a trend or if it's a um, some something that taps into people's zeitgeist at the moment um, that would that's something I'd really recommend having a bit more vigilance and a bit more diligence on a bit more discipline about really being specific by not giving the like it's obvious that something's an online pitch that's happening so why are you giving it to a quarterly long lead lossy can't do anything can't yeah. help you yeah i couldn't agree more and i think that comes down to um you know pre-pitching to journalists you know having your media matrix or your media list whatever you may be calling it identifying what all those options are and and then working out how you can skew that same story to meet the demands of those publications. You know, I've got many publications that really do not need to know anything more than the fact that there is a brand new restaurant opening next week and here are the pictures and this is what it is and this is the times that it opens. I don't need to dig deeper than that. That's what they're after. That's what their readers are after. That's fine. But I then can't send that to, like you said, financial review, life and leisure without going you know, beyond that and talking about the fact that, I don't know, maybe the chef has um, – has really taken to foraging and so much so that he's brought a little farm outside of Sydney and, you know, has been working, you know, like there has to be something deeper there to appeal to the different publications and what might appeal to Tea Australia might not appeal to Gourmet Traveller and it might not appeal to Delicious, it might not appeal to Qantas. So it really is about understanding your publications to make sure when you do go to pitch that you might have a central theme, I have a brand new product or a, a new restaurant or whatever it may be, but how how is that relevant to this particular publication or what elements of that are interesting to that publication? And that takes time. You've got to go through these publications. And, you know, if you work at an agency that has some tech clients and some fashion clients and some beauty clients and, you know, hospitality, it's not like me. I'm across all the hospitality and all the lifestyle all the time. I don't have to know about tech publications or anything like that. But if you do work at an agency where you have multiple clients across multiple sectors, it is time consuming. But if you want to start developing good relationships with journalists, then you need to be able to be pitching to them effectively, don't you? You do. And you just want to get your first pitch pretty right. Otherwise, yeah. there's a little bit of um, undoing of damage. But um, yeah, yeah, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that comes up a lot um you know especially when i'm talking with uh, prs that are new it's like you know how do i build media relationships they're very focused understandably on well how do i build media relationships what do i need to do and for me i've always sat in the space of relationships come from the quality of a pitch i don't have to know anyone but if i can produce a quality pitch it's more likely that person is going to respond and say hmm, that's interesting or that's a great idea and that's where the trust and respects build from. It doesn't need to build from a coffee. It doesn't need to build from taking them out for lunch or a drink. Um, so I think if people really focused on getting that pitch right, that's where the trust and respect comes from. For you, when, you know, like you said, you've got hundreds of emails hitting your desk a day, how likely are you to skew to looking at PRs that you have known, worked with before versus brand new ones? Are you more likely to to skew to those emails first? 
Um, I know you think I'm nuts saying this, but I literally legit try and read every single email, even if it's even if it's a scheme. I am nuts. I I know that, but like <laughs> I said, yeah. I'm getting a bit wiser in my old age, and I'm actually being much more respectful of your industry and kind of understanding mm. that there's like it's a two way street. So I do try and read every email. The difference between the ones I know or my girlfriends is that they will probably get a response quicker. Yep. I do eventually get, I've got two little boys. I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And unfortunately my husband's interstate. So sometimes I bribe my mum to take my kids for like a night. And then I'll do like a deep clean of the inbox. You should see those emails, Brooke. You would die laughing. It's like, hello, I know you've emailed me about this in February. <laughs> But you know what? I own it. I own it. I own my flaws and my <laughs> and my late responses. And I am pretty crappy at letting my inbox um, build up. I do have an amazing EA and she has access to my inbox and she tries clearing stuff as much as possible. And without her, I'd be completely screwed. But um, I do these deep dives and I do apologize because, like I said, I own my flaws, of which there are many. And I will actually say, look, I love this email. I'm so sorry. It's six months past. However, I do want to start the conversation or let's do some writing or let's do whatever. So I will actually try and respond to as many emails as I possibly can. But as you say, the people I do know will probably get an email quicker. But I do, mm. I am trying to be pretty egalitarian across the board in terms of actual like attention like and, and reading stuff. Mm. Well, that is, uh, that is very good of you. I think there's not many people out there that would take the effort to go through everything that comes in and not necessarily prioritize how they read it. My other advantage, Brooke, I have to say is that because I've got two businesses, so I've got the New York Times magazine and I've got a custom publishing um, uh, business. And in my custom publishing business, we do some beautiful magazines, like my favorite part of the day. Like I do Maserati magazine or I do Winning Appliances magazine. We've just got an amazing new custom mag client that we're working on now, which is super exciting. Like I'm in a really privileged position that I get to start things from scratch and like prototype mags and all that kind of jazz. So what's been really interesting for me, and this is why I read emails because I have got four or five different magazines where your pitch can actually be appropriate for. And this is what I found. And I found this with writers as well. But it's like you're writing a new mag, you're doing a new magazine at the moment as we are. And no one's seen it. It's a good word, right? But you're not quite sure. It is me, so people trust me. But you do need to kind of bring people along for the ride with you and like let them trust you and say, look, it's quarterly, it's going to be regular geek, blah, blah, blah. But I have found in a few instances, and I respect this because I know that it's like the client telling them stuff and like you guys are in the middle, but there have been a few instances where I've said, look, I know you sent me this for tea, but could I please use this for Maserati mag? This would be really perfect, blah, blah. And I've got pushback. So I now know that it's the client, probably, um, possibly, I don't know. But I have um, I have struggled sometimes because people now just want to be in New York Times, which is lovely. But I also have another business and I also have other magazines, which are premium, luxury, beautiful stock, huge print runs, wealthy audiences. It's exactly the same as tea, but it's not a news agent. Like that's literally the only difference. In fact, yep. some of the mags I do have a bigger print run than T. So your audience is massive. And I have had some um, companies or PRs um, or clients or whatever say, oh, well, I actually just wanted that in T mag printed. Well, wow. it's a bit of a premium. So, yeah, just um, if you do um, get across, and I know that I'm in a really weird position where that, that's just my business setup, but if that is the case, just like let's start working together and let's see how it goes and let's build on a long-term thing where I can actually get your client into four or five mags with a ridiculously good audience base. 
Yeah, and I think that falls back on the PR as well to understand that situation and then to educate their client or their boss about yes. it. Because like you yes. said, yes, of course, the dream may be for that client or that PR to get into tea. That's great. Unfortunately, you just don't have the space or maybe it's not quite as compelling enough. But like you said, if the demographic is very similar, then why would you not want that opportunity? It's not like you've said, well, I can't get into tea Australia, but if you pay me $20,000, I can put it in this magazine. This, we're still talking editorial here. So, yeah, it's it seems a bit bonkers that people would push back and not want to make the most of a complimentary opportunity. Okay. Um, one of the things that um, I've, I've certainly come across before, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, is if people are making a connection with a, a new journalist, do you think it's beneficial to... Uh, reference a recent article that journalist has written. So it's, it's part of a pitch. They are pitching a brand or product, and but they started off by saying, you know, we haven't had a chance to meet or liaise yet. I've just picked up the latest, latest issue and I really enjoyed your article on blah, blah. Does that come across as being too contrived or do you think that's a nice way of the journalist feeling like, oh, you actually have read that article of mine? In I love it. My work? I love it. I've, every time I, it actually doesn't happen very often at all so when it does happen it does stick out everyone's different i liked it I, I i really like it i like it from a journo and i really like it from an editor point of view if they say hey love your my girl robbie cover chances are they probably haven't bought the issue but i don't care <laughs> it means that they know like it's cool you know what i mean it's no problem like i love that um yeah. and if they say i read your article on blah 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 you know what so what if it's facetious? So what if it's just like something that they say? So what? It's a bit of personal connection. It's a bit of effort. It's an extra 10 seconds in an email that actually yeah. potentially might be the difference between a better response. Mm. Okay. So this is something that you touched on right at the start of the chat. And I just wanted to circle back to it. Um, when we're talking about who the right people are to pitch to at a newspaper and a magazine, I often PRs go wrong here. They think I need to go to the editor. The editor makes the decisions. They're in charge of things. They'll say yes or no. And, you know, you're madly shaking your head there. We both know that is wrong. Uh, but can you provide some context for a newspaper? Maybe let's break it down. So let's do um, like an upfront, and maybe it's called upfront news story. Maybe that's called differently around the world. When I say upfront news story, I mean a news story in a newspaper that sits in the first 10, 15 pages that doesn't fall into a supplement or a column or something like that. It's, it's like a general news story. So who is the right person to pitch for for that kind of story? Either the journalist who you have a very good relationship with, point number one, Point number two, the section editors or the news desk editor. There is no point pitching a story to the editor-in-chief unless the prime minister has had an affair with someone. Now that's a story. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I remember the number of pitches that Michael Stutchbury, the editor-in-chief of the Financial Review, would get about lifestyle stuff. The man's never read a lifestyle publication in his life. So it yep. is pointless but because you want to start at the top hierarchy because you think that's the right thing to do it gets lost so quickly and it will not get a response so definitely this is you're absolutely right this is where the relationship with the journo comes into its full glory because a journo looks good at those daily news conferences when they have consistently good frequent amazing story ideas there is nothing worse than being a journo 
with your superiors or with your colleagues or with whatever in news conferences sitting there and having nothing to say or having a crappy story because you haven't done your research or you haven't got contacts and read the job descriptions for journos these days of course the key thing is you need contacts you need industry contacts and to me pr contacts are just as important as staffers or politicians or industry people like to me pr contacts are just as important not just in my area but in every area so definitely i would go for the journo first and then secondly find out who either the section editor is of that particular section or the news desk those would be my first three options And when it comes to magazines, where do we go with that? So let's talk about maybe something like a, uh, like a a women's lifestyle, let's say like a a Vogue or a Marie Claire or Elle, I'm trying to think of names that have got some, you know, some international footprints there. Again, do we start with the editor? No. Only if she has a very good EA who goes through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and and this is and this is different. And you are a bit of a unicorn in in this because you do work across so many publications. I know, just like we've talked about there, if, if I pitch to you and it's not right for one, you can go to others. So you're like this little crazy little amazing unicorn from that perspective. But if you're an editor um, at a publication and you are not the publisher of that. Where do, you, where do you start when it comes to pitching? Um, again, two ways I like to suggest things. Um, a, some magazines still use fabulous freelancers. So I would try a fabulous freelancer first because the fabulous freelancers might write across five different magazines and they might be able to pitch you to Harper's or to T or to, you know, a newspaper supplement or to Vogue. There are still freelancers who do have that incredible network and I think a good freelancer is worth their weight in gold. Yes. The second thing is, yeah, I mean, the thing with editors is like, I know our jobs seem glamorous and fabulous, but really I'm in spreadsheet hell all day. I do not do fabulous things. I do boring things like spreadsheets and paying people and planning. (laughs) Admin. Yeah, so most editors are the same. So we're doing production or we're proofing pages or we're signing off stuff that we just, oh, my God, it's just a nightmare. So, no, um, most editors would not have the brain capacity to go through that pitch. Um, Deputy editors, some are involved very heavily in content and some are just used as a support. Um, It just depends. I mean, again, just I kind of go middle ground. I go... Mm. You know the section, the beauty editor, the fashion editor, the director, all that kind of stuff. But I, I, am a big fan of the freelancer model. Um, if there's any budget left in any of these glosses, then those those freelancers are worth the wedding gold. But I mean, some people are very generous in putting their email addresses onto mastheads. Some people are not. I personally, I personally do not like a LinkedIn pitch. It drives me bananas because I have so many of them. They drive me batshit. I don't like them. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? I didn't even You're ask totally you. allowed um, to swear. Yeah. Okay, amazing. <laughs> this interview is about to get interesting. <laughs> no, I don't like I don't like a LinkedIn um, interview or a story pitch at all because I get so many of these bloody things. Yeah. Um, I can't wade through them, and then I just don't want to log on to LinkedIn, and I love it, and I just don't log on because it's just like this thing coming yeah. at me. So anyway, yep. that's just a tip. Um, I don't mind it so much on DMs, weirdly enough, and I shouldn't say this because now I'm going to be bombarded. So but it's going to be one of our questions. Not... Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't mind it. Don't mind it. I've actually got some really cool people on DM, um, so I don't mind it that way. I completely agree with you with freelancers. I think you know, let's say I'm pitching out to fifty journalists. I would say a fifth of those journalists are freelancers. 
because just like you said, they write across multiple publications and um, if they can pitch in multiple things at once, and that's really glorious for me. So I often feel like PRs dismiss them because they feel like they're not going directly to the source. But um, and it's and it's easy to see who the great freelancers out because you'll see them popping up regularly across all the publications that you might want your client to be in. Um, I do wonder how things have changed in the times of COVID and whether freelancers are being used less just because of budgets, which is po- quite possibly the case, and they might have to be using you know internal full time staff. But that will obviously change back again. So um, you know by the time the podcast comes out and over the coming months and years, then certainly you should be factoring in freelancers to your pitching. And I would also suggest to you on the freelance side of things, um, obviously we're in Australia about to come out of lockdown and the I was talking to some friends in Melbourne this morning and the, the switch to events has happened at a pace which is overwhelming. And I personally cannot go to everything I would love to, cannot. Even the important advertiser stuff, sometimes I can't do it. I would, if it's, if it's helpful to understand how we work, I would like to suggest that I know that a lot of the events that I get invited to are extremely expensive to put on. And, they're, and I, I'm, I live in a very privileged world and I'm super grateful. I appreciate the time, effort, expense. It's next level and I can't believe that I've been lucky enough to be part of it. But in order to be able to help out and attend we're going to have to extend the invitation to other people and I love sending either my staff or my contractors or my freelancers out there and again a lot of the time I get pushback from people saying no it's an editors only event and I understand it's intimate and it's expensive and you've got an amazing person leading or whatever or you'll be sitting next to you know the editor of Vogue or the editor of Rush I understand that but I'm not going to send someone who's not going to hold their own I'm going to send someone who is a perfect fit for your event because it can't be me and I don't want to keep saying no but unfortunately I do have to say no a Mm. I've got a three and a five year old b I've got 72,000 magazines and I do want to share the love I want to send other people and that's the thing that I think we're just going to have to be a little bit more flexible about if possible is if you do um send invites I would love to be able to extend those invites if it's not to my team but to a freelancer and I want those freelancers to be treated with the same respect because they are representing me and they're always going to be people I've worked with for a long time who have got amazing contacts and experience and and appropriateness and professionalism about Mm. them so that's the weird thing that I found and like literally just this week the amount of invites it's like oof it's been epic it's been really really a lot and I know and I don't want to upset people by not coming but I know that it's going to be a real struggle for me to manage my time between now and certainly maybe January February Mm. And I think, you know, that's a really interesting point. And like you said, I can see when it's a very, very small select group of people, they want to make sure that everyone there complements each other in terms of their professional history, their status, where they may sit in the publication world. But at the end of the day, I would look at it from the perspective of if they can't get you to attend the event, then you're not going to be across that event or that brand um, but if you can send someone in your place, that person's going to come back or give you a buzz the next day and say, oh, my God, KK, what an event. How good is that brand? This is what they do. This is who they are. And then you've got a firsthand experience versus having no experience if they don't accept you being able to pass the invitation on. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I I always allow people to send another writer, um, especially if I'm inviting an editor, I always allow them to send someone in their place where possible because I want that editor to be able to check in and, and find out the information about that brand. So... Yeah, I'm with you. And just... also, if you if you send someone else who's good with tech, I'm terrible at tech. If you ask me to do an Instagram story, I'd be like, can I outsource that to someone yeah. half my age? <laughs> yes. So you will get a bit of Instagram love, which yeah. if I don't go, like I, I, I wouldn't be able to do that for you anyway because I'm like completely shitty at that stuff. So if I'm able to send my digital editor or a freelancer or my tech guy or someone, you're actually going to get a bit of Insta love, which you totally. wouldn't get if I don't go. So that's the other thing. Just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I hope it'll change a little bit. I'm finding, and I, like I said, I do realize that some of the luxury brands at that super super top echelon i understand it's exactly as you say you've got to find a place that fits but many of my writers already write for vogue yes. or write for whoever or they some some of them they might have actually been your boss 10 years ago so there <laughs> is that interconnectivity there yeah as it is so. yeah absolutely so just to wrap up the the section on the contacts one thing that i um i think is also important to to do especially if you are contacting a monthly magazine um, and sometimes, you know, on sections that might say edited by, which is great, it's really helpful. But if you can't find any details, um, you can always try the editorial assistant, email them and say, look, I'm, I'm new to working with this publication. I see that you've got a regular whatever it is, beauty must have page, but I can't see who edits that or who compiles that. Is it a freelancer? Is it someone regularly on staff? And the editorial assistant should be able to point in the right direction. And maybe it's them or maybe they can say, look, just send it through to me and I can flick it onto the right person. But if you can try and find the right contact, otherwise um, you're always having to kind of manage something through through a, a secondary person but certainly the editorial assistant could be super super helpful with magazines can't they very helpful and if you have them on side you're doing well i think i always think an ea or someone who manages people's diaries or someone who manages people's mail or their invitations or their inboxes i think definitely because they're super professional my ea used to be she used to work at the british high commission in canberra so she has all the diplomacy that I do not have. So she is an extremely valuable addition to the team. So yeah, I agree. Do that. I mean, there's a lot of people who will have generic email addresses and I know you just assume that no one's going to read them. And yeah, that inbox is probably massive, but at some stage, something will filter through. And as you say, sometimes it's the one person doing the three jobs or the yeah. three rounds or they're doing yep. beauty, fashion, food, whatever. So actually it probably already is someone that you know that is actually managing the page that you need. Mm. And look, the editorial assistant may well in a couple of years be the beauty editor or the health editor or whatever it may be so nurture those contacts treat them with respect as you would like to be treated with respect just because you know they might have the you know on the editorial staff they might be you know on the on the lowest point there the reality is they're probably the most connected person on the staff there so they're a a great resource and a great asset um something that you touched on um, uh, a little while back there, which I wanted to come back to was exclusives. And this may be a bit of a strange for those who have never kind of worked in the PR world or never worked with clients that really wanted to play in that exclusive space. But for those who are new to PR, what is an exclusive specifically, I guess? And what is the expectations when you get pitched an exclusive? So I think both PR and both media have got a love-hate relationship with exclusives. I think they are such a murky, complicated world that I think the world would be a better place if there was no such thing. Mm. So I will give you an example, and then I'll talk more general. I guess an exclusive for me personally 
working in my current situation of having a quarterly glossy is I either have to be the first or I either have to be the best. That's the mantra. That's the philosophy. That's what I tell PRs. That's what I tell my writers. We have to be the first to say something about someone or we have to be the best at showing that person, which means I get the longest amount of time and the biggest amount of access to them. So for example, I can tell you my next issue is out and I've got Dan Ricardo on the front cover. Now I've been working on this for a year and the shoot has gone from Australia to Melbourne to God knows where we ended up doing it um, in the UK because COVID's just screwed our photo shoot schedule around, but that's okay, it ended up being spectacular. We have got not the only interview with Dan Ricardo, of course not, but we have got the best interview with Dan Ricardo because we got the most amount of time. We got several interviews. We had a phenomenal, huge length of time for a photo shoot. He's wearing stuff he's never worn before. This is the Dan Ricardo Bible that we're going to do. Is he going to do an interview next week? Yeah, he's pictured this morning wearing a cowboy suit in the US. Don't know why he would do that, but that's another conversation. So no, of course he's going to do other interviews. You can't prevent someone like him of an international stature from talking. Is there going to be other photo shoots? Yeah, he's just done a photo shoot for an online thing, holding some food packaged advertorial stuff. That's okay. I don't mind. Because ours, I know, will be the best. It will be epic. So that's just an example of how we work with a magazine because magazine exclusives are tricky. So normally an exclusive would be an announcement or a release of something or someone's news. It has to be, you are the person to break it. It's the old school breaking news. So, oh my God, this person's resigned. Oh my God, this person signed this on. Oh my God, this person's died. Oh my God, this person's decided to blah, blah, blah. Like it's that, or this company has done this, or that company's done that. It's a complete newsy breaking news thing, which then gets modified to whatever your channel is or whatever your publication is. So that is the online daily newspaper version of exclusive. And what you would expect, I would expect that within a certain time frame after your story's out, that nobody else has that same story. Soon, of course, others have to follow, but that then becomes complicated for you guys because, of course, you're going to annoy most of your contacts. You're going to make one contact yeah. happy, but then all the others are going to get annoyed with you because why didn't I get it? It's awful. It's absolutely awful. It's just so complicated. It is a constant matrix of who I'm going to please and who I'm going to piss off at any particular moment in time. Mm. But again, as we have mentioned several times through this conversation, it's about honesty. I'm working with an arts company at the moment about doing yet another one of these epic photo shoots. And I'm like, you have to be transparent with me. I said, I can work with you. We can change the boundaries. We can change the rules. We can change the timings. I don't mind. I will work with you on this, but you have to be transparent with me. Too many times have I been burnt when someone said, this is your exclusive. We're not talking to anyone else. We're not doing anything else. And of course, they're having the same conversation with five other editors. Mm. That will never end well. And it's no. so frequent where that happens. It makes me really annoyed. Just be honest with me and say, actually, I am talking to Vogue or I'm talking to Elle or I'm talking to Wall Street Journal. Okay, cool. Yep. No problem. I respect that that's your job. I really understand that. But let's carve out a little niche that is our own and give me some exclusive news. Give me some angle. Tell me, it's like, save me a snippet. 
or give me this photo shoot or something like that. I understand that you guys have got to get more than just one mm. particular bit of coverage. I get that. But it is just about honesty and transparency and respecting the process from, from both sides. And I think if you um, are planning appropriately, and I get sometimes you can't and a boss says to you today, oh, my God, we've got this announcement. We need to get this out there tomorrow. And you don't have the luxury of time and planning. Uh, but when when you do utilize that and have your list of, you know, five monthly magazines that you would love your client or your product to be in and then start at the top and give whoever you're pitching to a time frame and say, look, we would love this to be an exclusive for you. This is what we can offer you, blah, 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 blah. However, I will need, um, you know, uh, some feedback as to whether this is of interest to you within the next three days, five days, two weeks, whatever it may be. Because then at least you can start moving down the list and you don't have to pitch out to five people at the same time um, and then try and manage how you, how you do that. Uh, I think that's an appropriate way to go about it, isn't it? To have a, have a time frame as long as it's reasonable for that person that you're pitching to to come back and say, yeah, in theory, that does sound great or no, that's probably not for us. I think that's an excellent way of doing it, Brooke, but I am going to express my <laughs> hmm, curiosity as to how many journos <laughs> actually respect that yeah. and how many actually get back to you within that timely limit. I would suspect yep. not so many. Mm. I, I, and I'm embarrassed about that because it's not okay because it leaves you guys hanging and you guys can't do your job. Yeah. But I have a feeling that's probably why these five other conversations are happening at the same time because you have to almost like hedge your bets. You have to take that risk yep. of talking to a few people at the same time mm. because journos and editors don't get back to you in a timely passion. I get mm. that. Mm. I guess then it does come back to the relationship, doesn't it? If you if you yeah. are under a time frame, you are pitching out to four or five, then yeah. if you've got that relationship, they may more likely come back to you a little bit more quickly, yes. like like you yes. have said. I, you know, I guess it also comes down to the content and how compelling it is. Yeah, at the end of the day, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It is what it is. It's, it is what you're pitching, 100%. And look, you can look at it from the perspective of, and again, every publication or media outlet's different, but you could have an online exclusive that sits with a particular publication. Um it could be a print that's, you know, maybe unrelated or maybe it's the same publishing group but it's a different publication. You could have a print exclusive running on the same day and you could have a broadcast. So there are ways to break it up, providing you've obviously got enough interest in your story there. And again, providing you're honest with people, you know, they just that's the worst thing you can do I think when it comes to pitching exclusives to promise something like you've said and then not be able to deliver it or to find that there's someone else running with that you know the same story in the same day because that's not going to help you pitching and sure your client's going to be thrilled because you've got two you know two newspapers running on the same day with what they thought were exclusives but how's it going to be you know in a week or a month's time when you're pitching in again um, it's not going to do much for your reputation is it that's a big burn <laughs> that's a big burn yeah um and I guess on that, in terms of following up with people, whether it's an exclusive or, or or not, my process for following up with journalists is I tend to pitch something. Um, again, it really depends on the journalist. Because I'm in such a niche, I know who never responds but runs stuff. I know who uh, are not great on emails. Uh, generally, though, what I pitch them I know will be of interest. And if I just followed up with them four days later or five days later, so whatever it may be, if it's online, um, they'll come back to me. So... You know, my follow-up approach is very tailored to the person and the publication based on how long I've been doing this. But generally, I usually would pitch once, I would follow up and kind of reconfirm what I think are the most important points for that particular publication or journalists. And then if I really think that that is a really compelling point 
and it may just got have lost in a journalist's or an editor's inbox, which can happen. We are we are all human here, and this stuff happens. Then I'll go back out, you know, the for the third time with maybe a couple of different angles and say, look, you may have read this and it didn't appeal, so I wanted to give you a couple of different, you know, areas that you could look into. How how often do you like to be followed up? Well, let me just tell you that most people don't follow up with as much thoroughness as you. So I don't mind one follow-up at all because often it is simply just mystery the cracks. I can have a day of back-to-back Zooms and the inbox is... Like, and there's just no, I can't, I don't even know where to begin. Don't know, don't know where to begin. So it is entirely possible that your email will be lost. And one follow-up email, I don't mind at all. However, your approach of following up an email with specific points or a re-pitch or a constructively helpful idea that could actually, like that never happens, Brooke. It just doesn't happen. All I get is the, hey, following up. Have you seen this? Hey, following up. It's like, yeah, I got it. And then if you do get that, I can probably tolerate that twice. But if I get it more, which I do, then that's going to be complicated. At the moment, there are a couple of big agencies. And again, I feel for them because these are juniors who are being told to do this, which is like the cardinal error, is, oh, hi, call me on my mobile phone. I've never spoken to you before in my life. Call me on my mobile phone and say, oh, you know that email I sent you an hour ago? I'm just following up. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Literally, call me on my mobile phone. I've never met you before. And you know that email I sent this morning? I'm like, yeah, cool. My coffee's gone cold because I've been on Zoom all morning. I haven't even, like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, that is something that's happening a lot at the moment. And I don't know why and it needs to stop. So, I don't like the follow-up emails from someone I've never met before on my mobile if we yeah. don't have a relationship. Yep. Don't like that. It makes me feel really yep. icky. Um, I don't mind an email follow-up, but your method is phenomenal and everyone needs to do that because they would get a bloody 80% success rate if they did that because that is awesome. And look, I think the follow-up on the phone call is only relevant when you are pitching to a daily newspaper and it's the Monday morning for and you want it in the next paper the next day and you haven't heard back from someone I would call the journalist and say hey I sent this over at eight o'clock I know you're probably in a meeting I don't know whether you've got to it or not got to it but I just wanted to highlight that we've got this opportunity I know time's limited did you think it would be of interest or not that would be the only time that I would follow up with a journalist on the phone within and I would still give them two to three hours to process their emails and get through their meetings I would never do it within an hour um but that's the only that's the only time when it comes to being pitched mm. in general. So there's no urgency on it. Everything on email for you. Do you like you know Do you like a phone pitch or is there just so much going on in your day that it really has to be on email for you to be able to process it in the time frame that's appropriate to you? Hundred percent email. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It literally has to be David Beckham's on standby, and they'll be like, "Hello." Then yeah. I'm talking to you, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't happen very often. So obviously it's those big names that actually take forever to set up. So no, 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 a hundred percent email also because, you know, everyone's got personal challenges at the moment with working from home and now we're going to be moving into hybrid working from home and God knows what, and people got kids and homeschooling and all that sort of stuff. Um, or oh, at the moment we're kind of coming out of it, but I still think for a little while until life resumes back to whatever normal is. I need it on email because I am doing stuff and I will get to it when the kids are asleep 
or when they're you know at school or whatever like it just has to be at the moment it's a hundred percent email yeah i'm email. with you so we have talked about some of the bugbears um in terms of prs uh what are the most frustrating things? Does it really come down to the pitching and not pitching um, specifically to that publication, not understanding the publication? Is there anything broader we haven't touched on that you think would be really important for PRs to understand when it comes to what can really uh, tick a journalist off? Yeah, it, it comes back to the whole print being king. It's the, I guess some pitches can be demanding and you say, this really needs to go into print. Mm-hmm. It's like, just just trust me and respect the fact that we know what we're doing and like allow me to use my judgment to place it as best as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I don't know whether this is quite probably, it comes with being a little bit more junior and perhaps having people that manage you that also, uh, although they may have, a number of years more experience and maybe they're not actually particularly good at the job themselves either so their expectations are you call this journalist you get this in and that's what we want and they don't have enough of an understanding of pitching in to to understand that's not how it works and that um, it has to be a collaboration between you and the journalist rather than you just telling a journalist what it is that you want from them no i agree completely and i think there's a lot of um yeah there's a lot of bad habits um, in the industry, but also my industry, by the way, not not just you know in our in our industry as well, that are just being perpetuated, and it just needs to stop. And I and I hope there's been a little bit more kindness and understanding over the last few months in Australia, anyway, just with COVID and people being in challenging working situations. Um, and I hope some of that will even out a little bit. And I think there's generally quite a good feeling of positivity at the moment amongst most of us. Um, so I hope some of those bad habits will um, just by dire natural death, yeah. I hope. Yeah, I mean, I certainly in my sector anyway, there's not many journalists that um, I feel are not very responsive to PRs and uh, the ones that are not, then you just have to be smart. You know, I know there's a particular, you know, a journalist that writes for, um, you know, does bars and drinks and he doesn't like working with PRs. I, I assume he's had multiple bad experiences and feel that, you know, PRs are going to either tell him what to do or are not going to give him the access that he would want to get. So, um, you know, now what I usually do is either say to the to the owner of the bar, it's going to be a lot more effective if you touch base with this journalist. Here's what you need to say. Here's what you need to communicate. Here are the important points because I need to make sure that they're communicating something that I, you know, that is important to our, our messaging. Uh, but if it's more likely that the owner of the bar can get on this guy's radar and, and get in the publication, well, then win-win um i'm not gonna be too precious about it and vice versa i've you know had clients that have been working with you know particular journalists for a really long time especially if they're kind of breaking news journalists in the hospitality world and they really want to um stick by those relationships they've had with that journalist and they don't necessarily want the pr to get involved and again it's about trying to massage that so at the end of the day everyone's getting the right results from this it just may be you're not going down the track that is you know traditionally what you would um what you go down so i think it is just problem solving isn't it you know what's the what's the best way but i also think that yeah i also think at some of the newspapers some of the more older established brands um a lot of the i'm going to call it disdain for prs and the industry comes from the top and a lot of the scaremongering or let's not work with prs all that that 
attitude, which basically needs to just go right back to the 1980s and stay there and never come out again, that comes from the top. And it is still rife. And I have had so many bosses in newspapers that have been so derogatory and have been so dismissive of Mm. PRs. And it's those people are still in those jobs today where the PR is seen as the enemy. And yes, I understand it's your job to present your client in the best light. I get that. But it is also our job as a journo to appreciate what you bring to the table by allowing us Mm. access. Like, why would I not come to a journo and get an interview like an almost automatic interview with someone I need. There will be editors who would encourage me to always bypass the PR and go to the person yourself. Well, mate, that person doesn't know who I am. So why am I going to cold call someone, get no, when I can actually do it through a girlfriend or a contact or whatever and actually get a good result for everybody, still follow my code of ethics. I'm very, very stringent with my ethics and with my integrity and with our editorial independence. Still going to follow the same rules. But why not be respectful and collaborative about it and that still happens in Australia today and like I said it just needs to go back to the 1980s and stay there yeah absolutely I think you know as soon as PRs can be seen as a conduit for information um, I mean because that's that's the whole point of our job is is to be the person that connects the story with the journalist, you know, especially if you're media relations driven I know there's lots of other components of doing PR but if you if it's media relations focused, then that's the whole point of a PR is to be that conduit of information and, and to be the person that can identify what the most important hooks are about that brand or that company and then be able to disseminate that to journalists in a tailored, specific manner that hopefully appeals to them. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Well, I think that is the perfect place to end the chat. Thank you so much, KK, for all your time and your insight into this. I, I think um, what you have imparted to us today will be so beneficial to so many people that are not only starting their careers, but perhaps even midway through or, or towards, you know, the, the end of it that needs a that need a nice little reminder of, of the role of PR and journalists and how we can work together a little bit more collaboratively. collaboratively. So thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed the chat. I'll pop a summary of these tips that we've discussed and these learnings on the website so you've got an easy guide to refer to moving forward. Thanks for listening to the PR Pod. For more expert tips on working in PR, head to www.theprpod.com.